Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 39 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.45, where are we at in society? Professional chess has another cheating scandal. And a mere seconds, it is the first of three segments with Sammy P. Handicapping Texas, Washington, Michigan, Bama, and the best NFL games for Week 17. I am your host, Trey Elling. Give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave. And do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Sam Pandiatovich is the lead handicapper for Nesson in Boston. Contributes to FoxSports.com. Hosts the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Give him a follow on Twitter at SP Shoot and hear him on this radio show during football season every Friday. Normally starting at about 6.15, but uh, there's a lot to talk about this week. So we're going to extend our two-segment chat to three segments this week. Sam, thank you as always for the time. How you doing today? Man, I'm doing good. Uh, long night of drinking last night. Probably too much, Jameson, but not <laughs> enough to stop me from doing my homework this morning. I'm I'm fascinated by this Texas dominance in the portal. I mean, we know that they've been recruiting extremely well. Last year, Sark had the number three class in the country. He's got the number three class in the country coming in the next season, but he's getting like defensive backs from Clemson and wide receivers from Alabama, and I'm just not only are they winning the recruiting war, but they are they are landing some four and five star players in the portal. Like this team is loaded with talent, and it's scary to think. And I'm not just playing to your audience. It's scary to think that this team might actually have more talent next year. And of course, you got Arch Manning waiting in the wings whenever that happens. Yeah, Arch Manning is the backup quarterback now with Malik Murphy going to Duke. And it has been impressive to watch Steve Sarkeesian and his staff while they're having to get ready for a college football playoff semifinal game, by the way, tie off a top three to five recruiting class and then kill it in the portal like they are now. And not only are they getting really talented dudes, they're getting really talented dudes at positions of need. So like people don't think Texas has a needed wide receiver right now. Guess what? Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, J.T. Sanders, they're all going to be gone next year. So there actually is a little bit of a void. Steve Sarkeesian loves using his top three or four guys the most, doesn't have that deep of a wide receiver rotation. So there are opportunities here. And then uh, a guy that people are probably sleeping on a little bit right now, like a a Trey Moore. He's this defensive end from UTSA. Uh, Defensive end is a position where there's been a bit of a void on this roster going back a, a decade plus now. That is really turning around. They've done a great job with uh, recruiting at the high school level for various positions. They find those areas that are strong from one year to another. Like they took one linebacker this year. Wasn't a great year for linebackers. Next year, they're going to load up on linebacker. They're going to have more of a need for a linebacker too. But to see them continue to pay the attention that they are to the roster has me believing that this year, what we're seeing right now is not an aberration. This is something that's going to be sustainable for years to come, which is obviously very important considering that the caliber of competition goes up significantly when they enter the SEC next year. And everybody's saying, you know, from the mountaintops, wait till they get to the SEC. They're going to have a rude awakening. And and I'm just looking at my numbers right now because I, I could care less about the front of the jersey. I care about the number next to the power rating. And Texas, to me right now, is the third best team in the country from a power rating standpoint. Now, that doesn't mean they can't win the national championship. It just means they would probably be a small underdog against either Alabama or Michigan. But I mean, this, this final four or this college football playoff semifinal 
is as wide open as it gets. Well, let's start with the semifinal game, Sam. What do you like about Texas right now in a matchup where even though they are the worst-seeded team in theory, Washington's two, Texas is three, Texas has been favored by four-plus points really since Vegas put out those initial lines. So I, I actually haven't made a bet on this one yet. Um, but okay. the, the closer we get to Monday, I'm probably going to find myself on some form of an over. Um, yep. You look at the way that these two games are differentiated, if you will. Alabama-Michigan total is 45. Texas-Washington <laughs> total is 63 and a half. So <laughs> the books are telling you without telling you, one of these games is going to be a slugfest, and another one is probably going to be a shootout. 63 and a half is a lot. And yep. I, I mean, those high totals are high for a reason. But I, I really want to look at the game. If you cut it in half. And you look at the first half total. It's 31 and a half right now. So it's basically you're, you're playing first quarter, second quarter. I think you're going to get both of these coaches who are extremely brilliant when it comes to playmaking, schematics, and, and play calling. I think we're going to see some fun stuff in this first half. You're going to see some trick plays. You might see some flea flickers. You might see some wide receiver reverse passes. DeBoer and Sark are going to get these guys in position to, to put points on the board and and you mentioned some of Texas's wide receivers. Washington has two guys at receiver that might go in the first round. I mean, yeah. you just have so much talent on that side of the ball. And I know Texas has a great defensive line, and Washington has a really good D-line as well. The problem is you have two quarterbacks that are extremely talented at getting the ball out quick and getting the ball to guys in space, and then they make guys miss and go. So if Penix and yours can just get rid of the ball quickly and, and take their shots down the field – we're going to see points here. And, and I really think the aggressiveness, as long as it gets set early, as long as we get that first touchdown, like in the first four or five minutes to make it seven, nothing, we're going to have a, a 20 to 17, a 21 to 20, a 24 to 20 first half. Uh, I do believe in that. And then we don't have to sweat the whole game because, you know, defenses do tend to tighten up later in game. So if you cut it in half, first half over, I think 31 and a half is a decent bet. I haven't played it yet. Uh, but I'm I'm getting closer to, to making a position. Yeah, you know, and on top of everything else that you just laid out, if there is a biggest question mark for each team on either side of the ball, it's their ability to cover the opposition. Both teams have had a hard time with that this year. Now, uh, Washington's getting a little bit healthier in their secondary, getting a couple of safeties back. Texas is going to be without Derek Williams, a true freshman who has arguably been their best safety this year. So that also speaks to uh, this being a game where we see both teams moving it up and down the field, even though there are some positive things defensively. What it's probably going to come down to, Sam, is which defense is going to be able to tighten up when they need to. In the red zone, You know, coming up with a big-time turnover here or there, and uh, that's where I'm maybe most fascinated to watch things play out, is which defense steps up at the right time, because points are going to be scored. I completely agree with you on that one. Kenny White is a tremendous odds maker in Vegas. He's been making these numbers for about 40 years, and I really I lean on his numbers to get to my numbers. Uh, his final score is Texas 34, Washington 28. Mm. So he's at he's at 62, which is which is right under uh, the total of 63, 63 and a half. He's got Texas by six. I I really like. I'm pulling for the boys down in Austin. I just I think the first half over is is just a better play. So. Okay. Um, look, I'd, I'd be stunned if this one, I mean, if this was 20 to 17, I'd be stunned final. Like yeah. I, I feel like there's just too much talent on offense, uh, to keep this thing low. 
And I also think that it being in a controlled environment, I'm going to be in the Superdome on Monday night. I'm excited about that. The controlled environment matters too. Like people look at Washington games this year and they see them scoring in the 20s. Uh, but they don't realize that it was kind of a gnarly weather season for the uh, the Pacific Northwest, and they had to play in some really brutal conditions at times. Like that Oregon State game was an ugly game, but to the point of taking that first half over, I want to say they got over 20 points in the first half before the defense had to tighten up. Yeah, I was on the over in that game. That was one of the losses I gave you Oof. on the show. Um, it was it, it started raining sideways after halftime, and I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you, you know, you read the forecast, and you, <laughs> I mean, you're obviously aware of this stuff. I, 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 every bet I make, I try and have an idea of what the weather is, and more importantly, the wind. Um, and we've talked about this. To me, the wind is much more important than rain or snow yep. for a total. When you when you get that wind that can push rain from vertical to horizontal. That's a problem, especially when you have a quarterback like Michael Penix who, who wants to push it down the field. And here's, here's the other thing to add on to the conversation about offense. I think Penix cracked rib like three weeks before the Pac-12 championship. Like that mm. was the rumor. And then he, he wasn't really driving through on throws, but he looked really good in the Pac-12 championship. And he's had a month to get that thing healthy. So you're going to see Michael Penix as healthy as he's been since early in the season when he was routinely throwing for like three, 400 yards and four touchdowns. Same goes for Xavier Worthy and JT Sanders, by the way. They've been each been dealing with ankle injuries. Apparently, they have uh, regained some of that explosiveness from earlier in the season. All right, he is expert handicapper Sam Paniatovich joins me Friday, usually for a couple of seconds to break down the football weekend. Today, that's three segments. And coming up next, we're going to get into the other college football semifinal game, as well as the best games from Week 17 in the NFL. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back for segment two of three with my friend Sam Paniatovich, one of the best sports handicappers around in just a sec. First, though, I needed to let you know about my friend Brian Hummel. He is the name behind Hummel Realtor and HummelRealtor.com. It's interesting to have been in Austin over the last year to see the housing market actually cool down a little bit, relatively speaking, of course. But guess what? Signs are pointing to things heating back up once again. You know it's only a matter of time here in Central Texas. And whether you're searching for your dream home in Austin or curious about how much your home is worth, you should look no further than my friend Brian Hummel, your trusted Austin realtor with Realty One Group Prosper. Brian is more than just a realtor. He's a full-service expert overseeing your entire transaction from start to finish. He'll lead you through each step of the buying or selling process with questions answered and details explained in plain English. With over two decades in Austin, Brian has witnessed the dynamic growth and evolution of the Central Texas market, making him your valuable resource for buying, selling, and investing. And as a certified real estate negotiator, Brian brings a strategic and skillful approach to bargaining. He secures the best deals, whether it's getting the highest price for a seller or the most favorable terms for a buyer. When you choose Brian Hummel as your realtor, you're not just hiring a real estate expert, you're gaining a trusted partner committed to your success. Contact Brian today at 512-619-1347 or log on to HummelRealtor.com. That's H-U-M-M-E-L Realtor.com. Brian Hummel with Realty One, the one you need. All right, now, Sam, switching to the other semifinal game, you said that uh, gun to your head, you would go Texas and Michigan. I probably lean Alabama just in terms of the straight up matchup between these two right now, but why do you like Michigan to win that game on Monday afternoon? 
I did bet this one about two weeks ago. Michigan was a one-point favorite, and I laid minus 120 on the money line. Uh, I'm looking at the board right now. If you want to get involved on Michigan money line, it's a little bit more expensive, like minus 125, minus 128, if you will. So it's, it's moved a bit. I just – look, man, I, this is the best defense Harbaugh's had. This is the best quarterback Harbaugh's had. And I do believe that if we go back 10 years, this might be the least talented Alabama offense. They got dudes on defense. I mean, they, they, they are a tremendous defense. And Michigan's going to struggle to move the ball. I mean, it, it, this is going to be a game that's probably – it could be like 10-7 at half or something like that. Huh. But I just – I don't think Alabama has, has those dudes on offense. I mean, you go back a couple years, they have Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell – you know, Mac Jones, before that they have Tua, before that they have Jalen Hurts, and Milrow's gotten better. I mean, I, I know you guys pounded Milrow early in the season. He's gotten better since that game when Texas beat Alabama. I just don't know that they have the speed, and I don't think they've got the NFL dudes on the outside. Mm. So if Michigan can get to the pocket, and, you know, the, the narrative is, well, there are two narratives. One, you can't give Saban this much time. No kidding, everybody knows that. Number two <laughs> – is that you know Michigan can't play a mobile quarterback? Give me a break, dude. Like like Milrow, Milrow's not that good. I mean, he he got better, but I I just think I think the lazy narrative is that this is one of those old school Alabama football teams, and it's just to me, it's not. They're good, they're not great, and I, I get the hesitancy for taking a Big Ten team against Alabama because Bama's got more talent and all that, and it it all makes sense. I just think up front. Michigan's going to control the line of scrimmage on D and their quarterback is good enough. He's, he's exceptional. I, I don't, I know people haven't watched a lot of Michigan games this year. He is so good at throwing on the run huh. and they have two good running backs, Corum and Edwards. Roman Wilson is healthy at wide receiver. They've got the big tight end. They always have, they've got a left tackle. That's awesome. I, I think that Michigan is at 13 and oh, Trey, let's put it this way. I still think Michigan is somewhat underrated and overlooked against an Alabama team that's been great for a long time, but this is not a great Alabama team. This is a very good one. It's not a great one, and it's certainly not an unbeatable one. And, hell, after almost three weeks of action now, Michigan is still favored. You got more bets on Bama. You got more tickets on Bama. I saw DraftKings put out a tweet, 80% of the bets on Bama, and the line's moving the other way. So just, just be careful with this Alabama thing. I, 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 think, I think it's lazy to think that Alabama is Alabama of old. I have seen Milrow take positive steps as a thrower. He is truly an electric runner, and we've seen some guys come on on the outside for them. For me, more than anything else, I think this comes down to Michigan needing too much out of McCarthy. And look, I know that he was a Heisman candidate heading into the season. He's he's underwhelmed when I've watched Michigan at times this year. And I also don't know how well they've been tested in the Big Ten. Obviously, that win over Ohio State is always going to be huge. You know, they beat Penn State, but is James Franklin worth a damn when the matchup is big? I don't know. His, his record indicates that's, that's not as such. I, I think this is going to be a, a very unique challenge for both teams, but especially Michigan, and ultimately uh, Alabama probably wins, in part because of the Saban factor. Not going to lie, I, I have a bias towards Nick Saban in big games, and it's, a, it's a, a result of him getting it done over and over again over the years, you know? I would be lying if I said I wasn't nervous about having my money against Nick Saban. Right. But 
Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And I know Michigan didn't have the toughest schedule this year, but I mean, to beat Big Ten teams 31 to 7, 45 to 7, 52 to 10, 52 to 7, 49 to nothing, yeah. 41 to 13. Uh, you know, you beat Penn State, hold them to 15. You beat Ohio State 30 to 24. Uh, you shut out Iowa. Not that, I mean, that's like shutting out a JV team, but. I mean, Iowa, <laughs> did Iowa cross the 50 more than twice? Maybe I mean, not. It, this defense, this defense <laughs> is great. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I think Michigan has, you know, you got 11 starters on defense. I think this, this team has five or six guys out of the 11 that are going to start in the NFL very soon. Was it that Michigan-Iowa Big Ten championship game where you took the under .5 on Iowa scoring in the first half? Yes. Very well done. Um, by the way, uh, people who listen every week know this. Those who are maybe tuning in for the first time or more sporadic with it may not realize this. I think you've gone undefeated on this show in December. So kudos to you on that one for giving uh, so many DGens out there great picks week in and week out. Uh, you said the word. You should never say the word. Look what you did. Uh, it's it's been a crazy <laughs> run. And I think one of the days we uh, we didn't do a show because you were you were squeezed for something. I can't remember what it was. But I did actually, I, I put the spreadsheet, obviously I, I keep meticulous notes and I have to track everything I do. And when you give picks off for people, you have to be honest about it. Uh, I tweeted this out a couple days ago and uh, the record has gone up a little bit since then. But since December 1st, 21-4-2. God. Which is, I mean, look, look, it, it's awesome. And, and I, I stand by that. But it's it, two things. One, it's impossible to sustain. Yeah. And two, it's extremely lucky. I mean, to be hitting like this is, is freaking stupid, man. I mean, 21 out of 25 with two pushes is 84%. I try and hit, like, for a season, I try and hit 57%. Because with the 10%, don't you have to hit like 53% to make a profit on the year? Yeah, 52.8 break even. So if, yeah. if you can get, I mean, if you can get 54, 55, that's a good season. 57 is a great season. 60 is an unbelievable season. And for the season right now, what is it? 49 and 35. So it's, it's been good. Uh, 49 divided by 84 is 58%. So there you go. That's college football and pro football for me this year. Well, you know what? I'm sorry for uh, for being the teammate who walks over to the pitcher in the middle of a no-hitter and says, hey, nice no-hitter so far, but I still got to compliment you for that one. And as a matter of fact, it's a, another win last night, too, one of your money picks this week that uh, you sent me from uh, the, the Chicken Dinner uh, Twitter account is the Rutgers-Miami over 41 and a half. They crushed that. I think they had that covered by some sometime in the third quarter. So good job on that. And one of your other money picks on the college side, Sam, is Maryland minus seven right now. I don't even know what, what game you're talking about here, but why do you like Maryland minus seven in whatever bowl game they're in? Yeah, I didn't give you the full sheet today. I just sent you a screenshot because I'm lazy and hungover. This is the Music City Bowl. Uh, it's actually Auburn as a uh, now six-and-a-half-point favorite okay. against Maryland. So the, the steam came against Maryland because Baby Tua is not playing in the game. Uh, Tunga Bailoa was the starting quarterback at Maryland all year, and he's not playing in the bowl game. So that line shot out. Uh, Auburn went from minus two to minus seven. And uh, now the sevens have, have all but disappeared. So I don't. Look, I, I'm very, very stingy about this stuff. I, I, I think, you know, plus seven was a great bet. I think plus six and a half is a very good bet. But 
you know, be cautious there because if it loses by seven and you take six and a half, like I, you know, it sucks. Um, but really it's just, it's an over move. And we've seen this a lot in bowl season. We saw UTSA go from minus 12 to, to minus seven and a half when Frank Harris got ruled out and, and they just blasted Marshall. It didn't even matter. We saw uh, Kansas play. Who did they play? UNLV in the bowl game. And Kansas went from minus 12 to minus eight and Kansas still covered all the numbers. Um, it's just, it, it's a weird time and, and people, people overreact and I'm talking the betters, not the bookmakers. The bookmakers just follow the money. Yeah. But if the true line in the game is, is Auburn two and, and now we can get six and a half with a Maryland team that sure it's down at starting quarterback, but Maryland's still going to move the ball. I mean, they've got, they've got really good playmakers on offense for a, for a big 10 team, I should say. I made the game with Tua, uh, or with Baby Tua, rather, 26-26. So I was even. I, I was right at a pick em. And I'll tell you right now, the, the drop-off between Tagovailoa and the backup is not six and a half points. Mm. In, in no way, shape, or form is that a thing. It's just an overreaction by the market. Uh, from two to six and a half, it's too many points. Even at six and a half, if you don't have seven, I still, I still like six and a half on Maryland. But to your point, we've talked about this before, discussed it when I recorded with Billy Walters a few weeks ago. He said understanding the value of the half point is the second most important facet in his successes as a sports gambler. It's just not as good of a number to take, unfortunately, because of the uh, that touchdown differential. If it lands 21-14 and you got six and a half, you got the worst of it. And, yep. and that's... You know, that's why I try and put these picks up on Twitter. You know, I put them up when the numbers are available. People will text me all week. Do you, do you still like it at six and a half? And I'm like, yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I can't act like I don't like it, but I don't like it as much as I did at a full seven. He is Sam Paniatovich, one of the best sports handicappers around, and you hear him on this show every Friday, usually for a couple of segments. Today it's three. Coming up in our third segment, Visiting, We'll take a look at the NFL games from Week 17 here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Final segment with expert sports handicapper Sam Paniatovich. He is the lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston, contributes to FoxSports.com, hosts the Chicken Dinner podcast, and joins this show every Friday for a couple of segments during football season. Switching over to the NFL side of things now, we're going to start with your money picks this week, Sam. Uh, one of them is involving the Dallas Cowboys who play on... Saturday night, it uh, should be a good matchup. Cowboys get to return home where they've been much better this year and over the past couple of seasons, facing a uh, Lions team that just clinched uh, their uh, their first playoff spot in a long time, and they're, they're still playing for seeding too. So uh, you actually like the Cowboys as five-and-a-half-point favorites here. Why? I really was impressed with the way that they played against Miami. You know, it, it was a tough game two weeks ago, and then they get off the mat and, and go to Miami, and honestly, like, probably should have won that game on the road. You know, they, they lose a squeaker. It was a tough result, 22 to 20. They got rolled against Buffalo, but I, I thought they were really good in that Dolphin game. Just a couple, couple really bad decisions inside the 10 and, and that happens, but now they're back home in the dome. Um, everybody knows Dallas has been a lot better um, in, in their own beds this year, if you will. I, I just I don't think this Lions team is that good. And this secondary is a big problem. 
for Detroit. You know, Dallas ex- exceptionally well at getting the ball to those skill guys. They lead the NFL, I still believe, in yards after catch because you got Sadie Lamb and Cooks. I mean, they catch the ball and they just turn it upfield. And the pressure they can put on Jared Goff, that is literally the key to this game. If you can pressure Jared Goff, you can beat the Lions. And who's better than Micah Parsons and company at getting to the quarterback? You know, the elements are not going to be a problem. It's going to be a perfect track for them, and it's a bounce-back spot for a good team that has a lot to play for, too. I mean, yeah, sure, Detroit's got a lot to play for, but but Dallas has a lot to play for, too. I mean, there's a chance that they wind up and, and sneak into the top two seeds still. That's that's still a possibility. So I, I do think that, uh, that this is a big game for them. And, look, for as good as Detroit is, allegedly, why is Detroit getting five, five and a half on the road? Hmm. Well, because this is, this is a, a mismatch for them. I mean, you know, a good team at Dallas is plus three and a half, plus four. This thing, this thing flirted with six for a little bit and then came down. So you can lay five and a half right now with the Cowboys. I think it's a really good spot for them to get right at home. And as long as they can pressure Goff, he's going to make mistakes because he always does. That's a great point. This is one of those weird years in the NFL, too, where there is, it's almost like they've, NFL has achieved peak parity. Well, there's way too many teams hovering around 500. So you look at the Lions' schedule this year. Like there were some games they played in the first half that were involving tough competition. They got blown out by the Ravens, but they they haven't been challenged all that much over the last two months because everybody's you know right around that uh, that eight and eight, the eight and seven. You know whatever the records are at this point, uh, they're they're right around 500. I mean, you've got the Bears who they lost to once should should have lost a second time. Saints. Broncos, Vikings, just a bunch of average competition this year. I don't have it in front of me. I'm looking at their schedule right now. I think the Lions have one win against a team with a winning record. Um, I'd have to have my crack research team confirm that. But, I'm, I mean, they beat the Chiefs opening night, which is always it's always weird to host trophy night and banner night. And clearly there's something wrong with this Chiefs team this yeah. year. Um, which is a different conversation for a different day. Every time I turn the television on, there's a commercial with Travis Kelsey getting a jab or Andy Reid eating a burger. It's, oh, I wonder what's going on there. Well, nobody's focused on football, clearly. Um, But, I mean, yeah, a lot of wins against bad teams, Falcons and Panthers and Raiders, Chargers, Bears, Saints, Broncos. It's I mean, they have a good record. But this is one of the cupcake schedules of the NFL this year. Detroit 11-4, and good season. I still think their coach is a moron. But, look, that, that'll be a team. I'll tell you this right now. I will bet a lot of money against Detroit in one of their playoff games. I don't know if it's going to be the first game or the second game, um, but I, I will have a lot of money against them, especially if I can get Stafford going back into Detroit in the playoffs. I will, I will be heavily invested on the dog. I'll tell you that. Yeah, the one other uh, team with a winning record that they beat was the Bucks. But that was much earlier in the season. It was the start of a four-game losing streak for Tampa before they really found their footing. So, like, even that win, you know, it's it's an 8-7 and seven team, back to my point about parity, but it, it wasn't as impressive back early in the season. So, yeah, I'm with you, and I actually like the Lions this year. I still need to see them play well against good competition, and there's an added challenge of having to do that against the Cowboys at home. That's just the, uh, the fact of the matter right now. All right, speaking of those Chiefs, even though this has been a weird year for them, clearly distracted, not focused on football, you actually do like them as seven-point favorites against uh, the Bengals this week at Arrowhead. That's a 325 game on CBS. Why is that? So Kansas City stock is extremely low right now. And in the last six games, they've only covered one. 
one four and one ATS. And I actually I haven't bet them since week three. So I, I haven't been, you know, talking about the Chiefs a lot this year. I mean, you and I I don't think have really talked about the Chiefs at all in the last two months. But there comes a time when you just have to buy the dip. And, yeah. you know, Kansas City with as good as its defense has been this year against a backup quarterback at Arrowhead. I mean, this line for the last three, four, five years has been KC minus eight, KC minus nine, ten. And and because of the, the lack of, I guess, public infatuation with the Chiefs, like people have been losing money on the Chiefs for the last six weeks. Yep. Again, one four and one ATS. So they're not making you money. So the luster is sort of off. The shine is off. I still look. This this is not Joe Burrow and a healthy Jamar Chase and the Bengals. This is Jake Browning and banged up receivers and a questionable secondary. The Chiefs are not a Super Bowl team right now, but the Chiefs are still good enough to take care of a backup quarterback in their own barn. That place is so loud. Browning is look. Browning's no Devito. Devito was special. Devito <laughs> had fifteen minutes. Browning might have an hour, and then he'll ride off into the sunset too. I. I think this is a great time to lay Kansas City. I, I don't know about them to win AFC, to win Super Bowl, but I think they could beat a backup quarterback by more than a touchdown at home. Yeah, and I don't like how much Jamar Chase is chirping right now, too, especially considering that he missed last week's game. He's just uh, giving way too much motivation to a Chiefs defense that's uh, they showed some signs earlier this year. I don't think they're as nearly as big of a problem as Mahomes just not having reliable weapons to throw it to. Like, why do you need to give them that added motivation when you're clearly not close to 100%? Chiefs still a top 10 defense in a lot of areas. Uh, I love the stat. I'm not a big metric guy, but I do love EPA per play. That's uh, expected points added per play. Top three defenses right now in football. Cleveland one, Baltimore two, Dallas three, mm. uh, Kansas City eight in total EPA per play. So I just, I think that really it's, it's just a lack of talent at wide receiver. Also Cincinnati EPA on defense, 28 out of 32. So while Kansas city has been a little, what's the word janky on offense, uh, this, this appears to be a, a perfect storm given the matchup and given the fact that the number is just, it's too low, man. It, it should not be seven, but, you don't have everybody lining up to bet the Chiefs like they have for the last four or five years. I mean, let's think about this, too. Mahomes has been in every single AFC championship since he's become the starting quarterback. Wow. They've been to that game every single year. And, you know, say what you want. He's kind of a crybaby. He is a crybaby when things don't go his way. But all of that is baked into the line. And people are talking about how, you know, Mahomes is washed and Kelsey's doesn't care about football and this and that. But if this number was eight or nine, I wouldn't even be talking about this game because it's seven and they only got to lay seven. I think it's a good buy low. All right, last game here, Sam. It is a battle for the one seed in the AFC. If the Dolphins beat the Ravens, believe it or not, as much love as the Ravens are receiving, uh, they will have the inside track on the one seed in the AFC. This game is in Baltimore. The Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Over-under is 46-and-a-half. Tyreek Hill will be playing. He was hobbled last week, still had a uh, pretty productive day, but Jalen Waddell may be out for Miami. Uh, what, what do you like about this game, if anything? Oh, I just... It sounds so funny to say this. I wish Baltimore didn't beat San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, going into that game, it, you know, whoever it was, Mike Florio, oh, the Niners are going to beat the blank out of Baltimore. And all these pundits all week 
laying four and five and six and six and a half with, with the Niners. And then Baltimore wins, and people are like, oh, Baltimore's, Baltimore's awesome. And it, you know, the look-ahead number in this game was like Baltimore one and a half, like Baltimore maybe two. Now we're seeing three, three and a half. I mean, DraftKings has three and a half. Circa and Vegas has three and a half. And my big fear with, with laying Baltimore here is that people are late to the party. So I, I haven't bet this one yet. Lean to the over at 47. Uh, we got two pretty good offenses and, you know, a really good uh, schematical team in Miami against a, a star player with Lamar Jackson and all that they do on offense. I just – I don't want to be on this Baltimore train. I did bet them last week. I took six and a half. And now everybody that had San Francisco last week is going to bet Baltimore this week. Oh, ba- well, Baltimore just blew out San Francisco. So, yeah, Baltimore is definitely going to win by more than three. And that's not how the NFL works, man. It's, just, it's a weird league. What happened last week has nothing to do with what happens this week. I'm staying far away from the side here, and I'm definitely not laying three and a half. If you want to take Baltimore, by all means, you do you. But lay three. Don't lay three and a half. Huge performance by Sammy P this week, fighting through a JMO-induced hangover. He is back in the Windy City right now, hanging out with family and friends, having a good time. Were there any Malort shots last night, Sam? Never. That's disappointing. I'm, I'm, I think the one person on the planet who likes Malort. Now, I actually have a friend here in Austin who does, too. Malort has started to spread around the country, by the way. Malort tastes like the inside of a sweaty Halloween mask. <laughs> he is Sam Pandyanovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. He is the lead handicapper for Nesson in Boston. Helps out at FoxSports.com. Also hosts the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Give him a follow on Twitter at SP Shoot and check him out on this show, usually for a couple of segments on Fridays during football season. Sam, uh, Sam thank you so much for the time. Always a pleasure. Enjoy yourself this weekend. Hook them horns, and we'll talk to you next Friday. Peace and love, buddy. I'll talk to you. Coming up in Where Are We At in Society, there is another cheating scandal in professional chess. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Final segment of the show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right, it is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism as it's all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out, but sadly, today is not that day. And we go to the world of Chinese chess... For the first story with today's Where Are We At in Society. That's right. Chinese chess was engulfed in turmoil earlier this week when a national champion was stripped of his title following allegations that involved cheating in the sport. What is it with cheating in chess? There's a story within the last couple of years of a chess champion being outed as a fraud and a cheat, which I believe included him inserting a buzzer in his rectum to help him understand the next move that he needed to make. Let's see if this story is as disturbing as that one. Zhang Qi is the official title of what is known as Chinese chess. 
It is the most popular board game in China, and it dates all the way back to 1st century BC, according to some historians. But the creators of the game probably didn't prepare for what the Chinese Yankee Association had to deal with on Monday of this week. The organization announced it was stripping Yan Chenlong, swear that's his name in this New York Post article, of his title as king of the sport over cheating allegations and, quote, extremely bad character. Officials addressed the 48-year-old champion's behavior in post-game celebrations. Quote, Yan consumed alcohol with others in his room on the night of the 17th, and then he defecated in the bathtub of the room he was staying in on the 18th in an act that damaged hotel property, violated public order and good morals, and had a negative impact on the competition and the event. It was extremely bad character, the CXA said in a statement. So consumed alcohol and others in his room on the night of the 17th, which I believe is after he won a championship, so is that that big of a deal? Apparently it is. Defecated in the bathtub of that same room on the 18th? Is this overnight hours? Did the drinking lead to the defecation? In the hotel bathtub. And look, I understand you never want that to happen somewhere indoors other than, well, I don't know, the indoor plumbing that was intended to house such activities. But did it damage hotel property or did it just require a good deep cleaning? Regardless, they consider that to be a part of the problem here. Now, wait a second. The organization then had to address allegations that Yan was cheating during the tournament with the use of... There's kids in the car right now. Just go ahead and turn this off. Beads that don't go around your neck. Let's just say it that way. Let's say beads. Five-hole beads, let's call them. Allegations that he cheated during the tournament using five-hole beads. These rumors, which spread across the Chinese social media site Weibo, said that Yan used these beads with wireless transmitters to help him in the contests. Wow, we have another example of this. This is insane. From the organization again, quote, based on our understanding of the situation, it is currently impossible to prove that Yan engaged in the cheating via, (laughs) how can you write a press release that has this term in it? Via the, those beads, I'm just going to call them those beads or the five hole beads as speculated on social media. Despite that, Yan has been suspended for a year and stripped of his prize money. It is unclear how much prize money he was awarded when he initially won this tournament. These chess champions are freaks, aren't they? I mean, I understand. I'm not saying I am justifying or glorifying it, but I understand that at the highest levels of competition, that people are going to do whatever they can to get that leg up. I'm in that rare category of people that thinks PEDs should all be made above board and legalized. 
That way you don't have guys essentially experimenting on themselves, possibly doing a lot of long-term damage in an effort to skirt the rules because they're trying to stay in front of the testing protocols. But you're willing to go to lengths of shoving beads that will provide electric pulses to help you know what the next best move is because this is the second such story that we're dealing with in the world of chess. Now, I know Chinese chess is different from regular chess. Actually, I don't know that. I'm assuming that based on the article I just read. But that is a step too far. It's like the eco-sexual woman that we talked about the other day, a woman who is literally in love with an oak tree who claims that it is not sexual yet. Well, she just said not sexual. I say yet, because how are you not going to take it there? If you're talking about all these passionate feelings that you have for this oak tree, eventually you're going to try something stupid that's going to lead you to getting splinters someplace where you don't want splinters. For this guy, is knowing rook to bishop four, is it worth the jolt down there? Or should you just use your own intuition and your own understanding of the bigger picture with Chinese chess? Which again, I'm having to make an assumption that it's a lot like regular chess and that you need to be able to look multiple moves ahead in different directions based on what you do than that they do and what you can possibly do. It is very much a big picture game. A lot of people make the mistake of just seeing the move directly in front of them. I play my kids, my nine and seven year old. Thankfully, I'm still beating them in chess. But these games are getting way too close, and I'll just make careless mistakes from time to time. I realize this isn't the professional ranks, but there's no way I'm going to keister some electrified beads to help me maintain my dominance over my kids in good old-fashioned regular chess. Now I've just taken this conversation to a very weird place. Hey, why don't we find our way out of this by sharing with you a letter pinned by the Stanford tree. That's right. We're going to the world of mascots for our final Where Are We At story for 2023. Did you see the Pop-Tarts Bowl last night between Kansas State and North Carolina State? Kansas State won the game. And in the postgame ceremony, the Pop-Tarts Bowl mascot, which was a Pop-Tart, was allowed to be eaten by the winners. Guy's still in the costume when this happens? But yeah, the winners got to break off a piece of the Pop-Tart and eat it. It was an edible mascot, a first, probably in the history of sports mascots. We were all amused by it. It was a fun gimmick. It still doesn't mean that we should continue with this current bowl season path. It's absurd. If nothing else, these guys need some sort of rev-sharing model to keep the best and the brightest playing this game, understanding the inherent risk, but also playing this game because there is money on the line. You get a certain sum just for playing in the game. Winners get a little bit more. But after the game, the Stanford tree, which may be one of the most famous college mascots anyhow, wrote a letter to the Pop-Tart mascot. And, well, it's a little bit of a eulogy. Wrote it on Twitter because, yeah, it is 2023 after all. 
I'll just read it verbatim. R.I.P. to my dear friend and mentor, the Pop-Tarts Bowl mascot. I find solace in knowing that in being eaten, you achieved your most precious goal. This loss is bitter and sweet, sugary and tart, just like you. Heartbreak emoji. Upset face emoji. And then you have two prayer hands, book ending, a Bible verse, Leviticus 26, 29. Now, not to take things back to the ecosexual, but if the Stanford tree would like to be eaten, there is an ecosexual, I think she's in the Midwest somewhere, who'd like to have a word. She's in love with real trees. I assume that you could convince her to fall in love with you, Stanford tree, a human dressed up in a mascot costume that looks like a tree itself. This may be a bit of a stretch, but this woman claims to be in love with an oak tree after all. You could work your magic here, help you forget about the Pop-Tart mascot, your brother or sister or snack food, junk food in arms. You just met its demise thanks to Kansas State beating NC State in a bowl game that nobody outside of those two fan bases really cared all that much about. All right, another show, another year's worth of shows are in the books now. That is because we'll be off on Monday, back on Tuesday. But off on Monday, which technically is 2024 after all, anyhow, I'm actually going to be in New Orleans for the game on Monday night, and I'll be recording from the Airbnb there for Tuesday's show. May also bring you a conversation with a very well-known comedian that you're going to want to hear from as well. But that's coming up on Tuesday. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening, a fantastic weekend, a phenomenal start to 2024. Talk to you on Tuesday at 6. In the meantime, hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.